Good to see everybody. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 10. John, chapter 10. If you're new with us, we welcome you. It's good to see you this morning. To let you know, we are working our way through John's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And um, we are in chapter 10, where we have recorded, I think, one of the most beautiful and powerful discourses that the Lord Jesus Christ gave during his time on earth, earthly ministry, what's called the Good Shepherd Discourse. Let me just say this in starting. Um, yeah, it's hard for us who are city dwellers, okay, living in an industrialized society to appreciate what uh, it was like to live thousands of years ago in a, an agrarian culture where animals played such an integral part of their daily lives and required quite a bit of care. Now, from what I understand, the life of a shepherd was especially difficult. I think it's pretty safe to assume we have no shepherds here this morning. Anybody? You may know a shepherd, the good shepherd. But no, I don't know any shepherds. I've never been a shepherd. Um, and because of that, it's uh, really impossible, I think, for us, because we have no frame of reference, it's impossible for us to understand uh, what it was like to live the life of a shepherd, especially back then. I mean, the care of sheep is not an easy thing. We'll talk a little bit about that maybe next time, okay? Um, it's interesting, the Lord likens us to sheep. There's a whole deal behind that thing. But um, the care of sheep uh, was not an easy thing and required constant vigilance and sacrifice. For months out of the year, the shepherd had to live, you know, miles from home in the open field, sleeping under the stars at night on the hard, cold ground. It was a dangerous life because at any time he could be attacked by uh, wild animals who would uh, uh, injure or maybe even kill the shepherd and then drag the sheep. The sheep that the shepherd looked at is uh, children almost, his children, um, drag the sheep out somewhere to tear them apart and devour them for food. And so when Jesus likened himself to a shepherd and the Jewish people to his sheep, it doesn't impact us the same way it would have impacted them back then who heard, heard his words as he spoke to them these things. One historian provides us with some context. I'll read it to you. He said, the illustration of a shepherd and his sheep would have been as common and familiar to these people as automobiles and expressways are to us. In Israel, there is a main plateau of land that stretches about 35 miles north and south and is about 14 to 17 miles wide. Because it's rocky and rugged, it, it was not much good for farming, so it became grazing land for sheep instead of agricultural land. And shepherds with their flocks dotting the Judean hillside became a familiar sight. It was a hard life because there's very little grass, which means the sheep have to be constantly led around to find what little grass there is. There were many valleys and ravines which posed constant danger for the sheep and meant the shepherds had to be constantly uh, watching over and tending their flocks. There was also the constant danger of wild animals, mostly wolves, coming to prey on the sheep, as well as thieves and robbers that the shepherd had to guard the sheep from. The shepherd had to have courage, patience, and love for his flock. He had to really care for them and about them like little children because they were absolutely helpless and defenseless. 
and many shepherds were known to have laid down their lives for their sheep, end quote. Now, as we uh, really start chapter 10 today, we kind of read the first verse last time, but as we really jump into it this morning, let me once again give you the background so you can fully appreciate this whole Good Shepherd discourse that Jesus gives here. If you, if you, as you start reading John 10, you might be prone to think at a casual uh, glance that uh, it's a whole different scene, uh, different day even, uh, you know, Jesus has moved on from the events of chapter 9, and this is a whole different setting. You'd be wrong, because chapter 10 is really a continuation of what began in chapter 9. Actually, it starts in chapter 8, uh, back in verse 2 of chapter 8, runs through chapter 10, verse 21. Same context, same day, same events, okay? But in chapter 9, as you remember, Jesus healed a man born blind. Gave him his sight, never saw in his whole life, and Jesus healed him. This created quite an uproar. And uh, so eventually they brought this man to the Pharisees, who were the spiritual leaders uh, in Israel, one of the groups. And um, when they heard the man say that a man called Jesus healed them, that was it. Uh, healed this guy. When he said that Jesus healed me, that, that was it. The Pharisees were immediately against this guy and his testimony because they hated Jesus. We're five months from the cross. They're already boiling with, with hatred toward him. They want to kill him. And so for this guy to give glory to Jesus for healing him, that was something they wouldn't put up with. So they kept badgering him, and after he refused to denounce Jesus Christ, they excommunicated him, threw him out of the synagogue, which was a big deal in that culture. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so this whole discourse centers around Jesus as the good shepherd in contrast to the false, evil shepherds of Israel whom Jesus calls thieves and robbers, who only came, he said, to steal, kill, and destroy the sheep. But as we pointed out numerous times in chapter 9, this man, born blind, the only man Jesus healed that was said to be born blind, he healed numerous blind people. But the Holy Spirit makes it a point to tell us that he was born blind. And in that regard, he becomes a type of every person born into this world in Adam, we're all born blind spiritually. And we all need Jesus to open our eyes and become our good shepherd. That's the background. That's the context. And then we move right into chapter 10, where Jesus is basically offering himself to us as our good shepherd. So we begin with what I'm calling the illustration, verses 1 to 6. Um, verse 1 we read, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Jewish shepherds kept their sheep in two kinds of sheepfolds throughout the year, depending on the season, whether it was winter or summer. Now, during the rainy season, winter into early spring, when there was an abundance of green grass around the village, because it was raining a lot, okay, rainy season. You go to Israel uh, right after the rainy season, and then the, the hills are covered with grass, wildflowers, it's beautiful. You wait a month or so, and the heat gets cranking up, and everything dies, okay? But in the springtime, basically winter, spring, when there was a lot of rain and a lot of green grass around the village, the shepherds would take their flocks out 
uh, to the hills and fields around their villages, and the sheep would graze all day. And then at night, they would bring their sheep into the village, because in every uh, village in Israel, near the middle of town, there was what was called a common or a communal sheepfold. Common or a communal sheepfold. And really, this sheepfold was nothing more than a walled-in area. We would call it a corral, but we think of a corral with wooden fencing, okay? This was an enclosure made up of stones, and the walls were about six to eight feet, some people say even higher, six to eight feet high, no roof, and one door, one door by which the sheep could enter and the shepherd could lead them out. And again, in the evening, the shepherds in the village who had been grazing their flocks around the village, the surrounding fields and hillsides, would all lead their sheep into this communal sheepfold. Now, there was a man that that they had hired that would uh, keep an eye on the sheepfold, right? And his uh, title was the uh, porter or the doorkeeper. And it was his job to kind of care for the sheepfold at night. And so the shepherds would lead their flocks into this one sheepfold uh, at the end of the day, and then they would go home for the night. They would go home for the night. And it was the doorkeeper's responsibility to shut the door and to guard the sheepfold against animals and especially thieves and robbers who would try to climb up. They wouldn't go through the door, obviously, because he was right there, the doorkeeper. Uh, that's where he camped out. But uh, they could climb up the wall some other way, and they would typically by stealth climb up the wall, jump into the uh, sheepfold, maybe uh, slit a couple of sheep's throats, throw their bodies over the wall where their accomplices would then take them and they would use them for food or sell the wool and so on, that kind of thing. Constant danger in Israel. Um, and so we have, Jesus mentions the thief and the robber. Right? Doesn't, the thief and robbers come to steal, kill, and destroy, so, so on. Uh, the Greek word for thief is kleptes. We get the word kleptomaniac from that Greek word. Kleptes, the word for robber in the Greek, is lastes. And really the primary difference between kleptes, thief, and lastes, uh, robber, was that the kleptes relied on stealth and did his stealing in secret so as not to be discovered. Whereas the robber, on the other hand, the lastes, was much bolder and did his stealing out in the open through violence. It would be the same difference between uh, somebody who was a home invader, we'll say, waited till you were on vacation and slipped in under the cover of night and stole your stuff and then, you know, got away that way, right? As opposed to the guy who holds you up in broad daylight with a, with a gun and robs you. That was a, in our society, I think, uh, we're seeing more and more people transitioning from the thief to the violent robber. So that's the, the sheepfold. Let's look at the next part, the shepherd. So he talks about, you know, um, the sheepfold and so on, and, uh, and uh, these thieves and robbers that try to get in to steal the sheep. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, the stranger, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So here's what happened. In the morning, each shepherd would go to the sheepfold. Of course, the doorkeeper knew all the shepherds. Uh, he wouldn't open to the robbers, obviously, that's pretty clear. 
Uh, but when he saw one of the shepherds come, he would open the door. The shepherd would stand in the opening of the sheepfold, the door, and he would call his sheep by name. He had a name for each one of them. They were like his kids or his pets. He really loved these animals, okay? And so he would, and, and it didn't matter that over the course of the night, because you had numerous flocks that were all put into this common sheepfold, they all mixed together, didn't matter. Because every sheep knew the voice of its master and knew when the master called its name and they responded immediately and then followed their master out because they knew their shepherd's voice. Um, as Jesus said, they wouldn't follow a stranger. In fact, somebody after first service told me that her dad was a, so I guess I, she did know a shepherd. Her dad was a shepherd for a while, had a, a farm with sheep. And uh, one day, all the sheep were out in the pasture grazing, and she yelled at the sheep, and they didn't budge. They didn't even flinch. He walked over and said, sheep! They all came running right over. They all knew his voice. I don't know if he had names for them all, but, you know. So, so but, but Jesus said, the, 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 sh- those, the sheep that, you know, if the, another person, another so-called shepherd called to the, even if they knew, the shepherd knew their names, they wouldn't respond. In fact, they'd run away. Only their shepherd could call. Now, who's the shepherd? Pretty obvious, right? Verses 11 and 14, he calls himself the good shepherd. It's all about him. What, this is a teaching based on chapter 9. When you had the, the, the she- false shepherds of Israel, uh, didn't care about the sheep, uh, cast the guy out of, of, of the fold, basically. So yes, the shepherd is Jesus Christ. What is the sheepfold? What does that represent? Well, you know, some say it's the church, the church. But why would the good shepherd lead people out of the church? Now, I'm not talking about a bad church. I'm talking about the church, the body of Christ. He wouldn't do that. Some people say, well, no, it's heaven. The sheepfold here is heaven. But again, why would Jesus, the good shepherd, ever ever lead his sheep out of heaven? Remember the context, and I've already given it to you. And who was standing there at that moment? Again, John chapter 9 is all about a lost sheep of Israel, a man born blind, who was rejected by the bad shepherds of Israel, in this case the Pharisees, who cast him out of their sheepfold, Judaism, and how the good shepherd found him and made him a part of his fold, the church. That's the context. And so the sheepfold is Judaism. The sheep that hear the good shepherd calling their name are Jewish believers in Messiah Jesus. False shepherds that Jesus calls thieves and robbers Well, they're all the false messiahs, false prophets, and false teachers that had shepherded God's people down through the centuries. And I say shepherded with quotation marks. God has a lot to say in the Old Testament about these evil shepherds. We read out of Ezekiel 34 last Sunday. Let me read to you a few passages. I'm just going to read them. You'll have to turn there. But Jeremiah 23, verse 1, God said, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Again, in Ezekiel 34, God is indicting the uh, evil shepherds of Israel who didn't care about the sheep, God's sheep, who only used them. The sheep were there to 
to feed them and to clothe them. The shepherds didn't care about the sheep, though. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't go out and rescue them from wolves, in other words, uh, false teachers or pagan religions. Um, they didn't care. And so God said in verse 9, Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep, and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I will dis deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may no longer be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, I indeed, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. A prophecy that Jesus right here in John 9 and 10 is fulfilling in part. The ultimate fulfillment will be when Jesus comes the second time and establishes his kingdom. He's going to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth, Israel and believing Gentiles. And they're going to come into the kingdom and he will be their shepherd, their king, righteous king. The one who not only said he cared for them, but laid on his life to prove it. Ezekiel 34, verse 23, I will establish at that time during the millennial kingdom one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, my servant David. In other words, the son of David, Messiah Jesus. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Guys, as I said, all throughout the history of Israel, God's people were plagued by false and evil shepherds who led them away from God's word, got them into idolatry, paganism. They practiced child sacrifice. They went up onto the hills and the high places among the carved phallic symbols of the trees, and they had sexual orgies to worship these deities. This is, the, this is what these people had done, these so-called shepherds. But God's true sheep didn't listen to them, didn't follow them into the idolatry because they knew their shepherd's voice and they kept their shepherd's commands. Yahweh, the God of Israel, they were faithful to him. Even in the midst of so much idolatry and paganism and, and so on, there was a faithful remnant. That's what the Bible calls them, a faithful remnant that were faithful to God. You remember how that when Elijah came out of nowhere, like a lightning bolt from heaven, all of a sudden he's there and he's rebuking the nation. Because of all the idolatry of the northern kingdom, you had Ahab and Jezebel, the demonic duo of the Old Testament, who led the entire nation into paganism and idol worship. The Baals and Ashtoreths were worshipped, and she had her own priests and priestesses, 850, that led the entire nation in pagan worship. And Elijah came on the scene, and he denounced it. And finally, at one point, calls for a showdown on top of Mount Carmel between himself, the lone prophet of God, and these 858 false, 850 false prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. You remember the story. They killed an animal each, Elijah did, and then these other priests killed, put them on two altars. And he said, go ahead and cry to your gods and see uh, which God, and I'll cry to my God. We'll see which God answers by sending fire to devour the sacrifice. You remember the story. All day long, they're crying out to God, oh, Baal, Baal, screaming, you know. About lunchtime, he says, why don't you shout a little louder? Maybe he's uh, hard of hearing. Maybe he's in the washroom. He's on vacation. That, that's what it is. And they started screaming and cutting themselves with their lances. This is how they worshiped their God. Blood everywhere. 
About the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah said, move aside, boys. Now, douse the offering with water. Again, again, three times. It was trenched. The little motor around the altar was filled. Lord God, I call upon you to answer by fire to prove that you are the true and living God. Whoosh! Fire came. It, animals were, just, were eaten up. The rocks of the altar, the dirt. Okay, just, God just, just took everything. And Elijah said, take these prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth down to the river and kill them. Now, when Jezebel heard that Elijah had had her prophets and priests killed, she sends him a letter. And she said, may God do so to me and more so if I don't make your life like one of theirs by this time tomorrow. The guy just withstood 850 false prophets and one woman he's scared to death. If you knew Jezebel, you'd be scared too. He runs down to the wilderness as fast as he can, hides in a cave. The Lord spoke to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? Lord, I, I, I'm the only one who's, who's left, who loves you and is faithful to you. God said, I have 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal or kissed his image. They're my sheep. My sheep know me, and they follow me, as Jesus would say a little later in this chapter, right? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's been a lot of false shepherds that have come throughout the centuries and have led many astray. But there's always been the true sheep, the ones who love me, who are really mine. They haven't fallen into idolatry. They've remained faithful. Verse 8, all whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. My sheep is the idea. And now here you have the good shepherd standing there at the opening, basically, standing at the door of the communal sheepfold of Judaism, calling out to his sheep. And I say it was a communal sheepfold called Judaism because in Judaism you had many sects, many groups that followed different shepherds. Some were, were rabbis, some were prophets, some were false messiahs that they believed were the true uh, messiah. You had all these flocks mixed together in this sheepfold called Judaism, and yet among the false you had a group that were the true sheep of God. And these are the ones the good shepherd now is calling to. Call, and he's using the blind man he has just healed, who has just received him as his shepherd, as an illustration. Your, your shepherds, these evil shepherds, they don't care about the sheep. Did they care about this guy? All they did was want to throw him out because he disagreed with them. Best thing that ever happened to him. Got thrown out of religion and found a relationship with the true and living God. Jesus, I've come now, and I'm calling to all the sheep in the sheepfold of Judaism and the ones who are really mine, who love me, love my word, they're going to come. You can come. One author had this to say, said, and I quote, Israel's true shepherd 
had not come to the, door, to the door of the sheepfold of Israel to call his sheep out of the restrictive, legalistic walls of Judaism into the green pastures of Christianity, end quote. Another said, and I quote, God had his true sheep in the sheepfold of Judaism, and Jesus, as the good shepherd, the Messiah, had come to lead them out of Judaism into a new covenant relationship with God, into a new sheepfold called Christianity through him. Over the centuries, many false messiahs and prophets had climbed the walls and carried off many sheep. But those shepherds were thieves and robbers, and the sheep only listened to them because, listen, they weren't God's sheep in the first place and proved it by following after the false shepherds, end quote. Some commentators liken the door of the sheepfold in verse 1 to Jesus' messianic authority. And I agree with that. They say that no one else had the right to go through the door, that door, the door of Judaism, and lead God's true sheep out of Judaism into the green pastures of the new covenant except Messiah, Jesus, the good shepherd. And so, guys, we know the sheep that Jesus leads out of Judaism were believing Jews in Messiah Jesus. We know the false shepherds were the religious leaders of Israel at that time primarily, in this case the Pharisees. But who does the doorkeeper represent? Who does the doorkeeper, who opened the door to the shepherd? Well, a lot of commentators see that he represents John the Baptist, the forerunner whom God sent to basically open the door of Israel, the Jewish people's hearts, by telling them, repent, because Messiah is coming. Open your hearts. Prepare your hearts. Messiah is coming. I could paraphrase and say the good shepherd's coming. The good shepherd is coming. And John was opening the door of the nation to the, to the hearts of the people that they would receive their Messiah, their shepherd, when he finally came. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, but pastor, you're saying John 10, in John 10, Jesus is only talking about Jewish believers as his sheep. I'm a Gentile believer. Doesn't Jesus consider me one of his sheep too? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're going to get to that. But, but let's jump ahead, okay? Let's show, verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. There you are. There you are. Them I must also bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be in the millennial kingdom one flock and one shepherd. Now Jesus spoke these words. Verse 6 says he used this illustration. But they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Talking about the Pharisees who were standing there. The Pharisees didn't understand because these false shepherds weren't God's true sheep at all. Remember we go back in chapter 8, which is the same day, the same situation. And Jesus said to these very men still standing there in chapter 10, John 8, 43, Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. 
Therefore you do not hear, because you are not of God. Jesus would go on to say, in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. These men weren't sheep at all. You should read Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. They were goats. They, were go- they weren't sheep at all. They were goats. So you have the illustration in verses 1 to 6. And then the application, which we won't finish today, but the application starting in verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now, wait a minute. You might be sitting there thinking, hold it. Now, I'm confused. Uh, Is Jesus mixing metaphors here? Because he just said he was the shepherd. Now he says he's the door. I mean, has he changed subjects? Is he introducing a different, whole different metaphor? No. Jesus' audience would have understood perfectly what he was talking about. You see... During the winter months and into early spring, there was that communal sheepfold in the center of town. And it had a door and a doorkeeper that, you know, watched over the sheep at night, right? We talked about that. And this was, again, during the winter and early spring of the year. However, when the weather started to get warm and then hot, which gets pretty hot in Israel, the shepherd had to lead his flock farther and farther away from town during the day, to find grass for the sheep to graze on. Now, over the course of, you know, a couple, three weeks, he could be miles from home at one point. I mean, you know, too far to actually stop for the day and go back into town to put his sheep in the communal sheepfold. Because in Israel, it gets hot rather quick. And when it does, uh, all the green grass burns up. The, The sheep still feed on the brown little stumps. Amazing. You go to Israel and you see them grazing on the hillside, and it's like there's nothing but rocks here. What are they eating? Well, if you were to get up close, you'd see there's little, you know, brown roots and grass, and they they live on that, okay? But again, uh, often the shepherd during these warmer and hotter months had to go so far to find uh, grass for the sheep to graze on, it wasn't feasible for him to then come back to town every night and uh, put his sheep in the communal sheepfold. So all the shepherds did it this way. As soon as they got far, too far away from town to go back at night, what they would do is they would have to make a small temporary sheepfold out of rocks, branches, tumbleweeds, put it all around, and made sure that it only had one entrance. We would say a door, but it wasn't a door. Just a, an entrance into this little enclosure, makeshift enclosure that he had made. And the shepherd would make the opening only wide enough for one sheep to enter at a time. They couldn't come in two by two or three by three. They had to come in one at a time. Now that was purposeful, purposeful. You see, the shepherd would stand next to the entrance of the sheepfold with his staff in his hand, where the staff was, uh, he had it in front of the opening, but too low for the sheep to pass under it. And he would make each sheep stop at the entrance of the sheepfold, where he would meticulously examine each sheep, front to back, head to hoof, okay, running his hand over the sheep's body to see if there's any burrs or if he noticed any cuts 
or injuries he'd have to take care of before he brought the, that, that sheep into the fold for the night. And after the sheep passed inspection, the shepherd would raise the staff and allow the sheep, again, one at a time, hold on to that to enter the sheepfold. He would do this for every one of his sheep. And then, after the, sh the last sheep had been examined and was now safely inside the fold, he, the shepherd, would lay across the opening and would literally become the door of the sheep. Or, in other words, the door into the sheepfold. He did this for two reasons. So that none of the sheep would exit and none of the wolves would enter without stepping on him. And then he could deal with that. One pastor said this, and I quote, Thus, in referring to himself as the door, Jesus was saying, in part, I'm the shepherd on duty. I'm the one whose job it is to guard the flock, end quote. Will you remember that next time Satan comes knocking at your door with temptation? Would you not even answer that door? In other words, don't, don't engage the devil. Some Christians are real big at engaging the devil. In fact, they, they, they're, they're actively out looking for the devil to engage. I've, I've, I've seen it, okay? And that's their view of warfare. You've got to find where the devil is. You just serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and the devil will come looking for you. You won't have to go finding him. And he's going to come looking for you with temptation. And that's why it's so important when temptation knocks, you send your shepherd to answer the door. Lord, I can't deal with this. I need grace right now to walk away. I need grace right now to, to see this for what it is, Lord. Give me your grace, and will you deal with this? And, and, and drive the, the, the devil away. I don't want to think these thoughts. I don't want to entertain this image in my mind. Lord, please. That's how you deal with temptation. You don't rebuke the devil. You don't get in the devil's face. And so on. You just send the shepherd to deal with the... And, which implies you stay close to Jesus, right? Verse 8, once again, Jesus said, All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Now, in saying this, the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't including Israel's true spiritual leaders, obviously. You know, guys like Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, many others who were good shepherds, good prophets, good kings, and so on. No, Jesus here was referring to Israel's false shepherds, her wicked kings, corrupt priests, false prophets, and pseudo-messiahs. That's who he's got in view here. However, the true sheep did not hear them. They did not heed them. And they were not led astray by them because they were God's true sheep. They were God's true sheep. Of course, Jesus led the lost sheep of the house of Israel out of the sheepfold of Judaism. Of course, those that responded to his voice, who were really his sheep, those that did not stayed like the Pharisees, stayed in the sheepfold of Judaism and died in their sins while being very religious. Can I just personalize this for a second? I was raised in the, in the sheepfold of Roman Catholicism. And I loved the church. I was raised in the Catholic church. I went to Catholic grade school. My wife went to Catholic high school. We got married in the Catholic church. 
But I never heard the gospel. What I heard was, go to church, light the candles, pray the rosary, keep the sacraments, and you'll earn heaven. That's not the gospel. And when somebody, and it wasn't the first time, but as people would share with me the gospel, eventually my heart began to soften. What was going on was the shepherd was calling me. Didn't recognize it at first, but I began to hear my shepherd's voice. And eventually I followed him out of the fold of Roman Catholicism into the green pasture of Christianity where we are saved by grace, not by our works, right? My wife and I still have people that we witnessed to 40 years ago. I've been in ministry, we've been in ministry 40 years now. Once in a while you run into an old Catholic friend and they're still in the Catholic Church. I've witnessed to them before. Others have no doubt witnessed to them. But they're still in the church. Committed to the church but not to the God of the church, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm hopeful God eventually is going to get a hold of them, that they will eventually start listening to prove they're really sheep of God. I just know, though, if they refuse to come to Christ by faith and die in that sheepfold, they will go to hell because a gospel of good works and lighting candles and praying rosaries and keeping rituals and observing ceremonies is not going to get you to heaven. It didn't get the Pharisees there, and it won't get you as a Roman Catholic or whatever other group you belong to that, that thinks you have to work to get there. You're not going to make it. Jesus here calls himself the door. The door of the sheepfold. In other words, he's the door to the new covenant. He's the door to the church, the body of Christ. In other words, he's the door of salvation. Look at verse 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, or she will be saved. Now, remember, the sheepfold. How that the shepherd out far from the village would only make the opening wide enough for one sheep to enter at a time. Jesus is the door. We can only enter him one person at a time. We don't get saved in mass. We don't get saved as a group. We get saved one person at a time. He did say in Matthew 7, there's a broad way, many go in that way, and there's a narrow way. And the Greek word for narrow is a word that means turnstile. You ever try to get you and a few friends through a turnstile all at the same time? I wouldn't suggest you try it. We'll be calling for the jaws of life to cut you out of there. A turnstile is designed to, be, to let only one person at a time enter. That's the gospel. That's how you get into Christ. One person at a time through faith. You're not going to get there because your mom was a Christian. So the whole family somehow saved. We're all going because mom was a devout Christian. You read her Bible every day or dad or whatever. You're not going to get there because you're an American, right? 
All Americans are Christians. We're all getting there. We're not atheists or any Muslims or whatever. Jesus, I'm the door. Anyone can enter who wants to. You can only enter one person at a time. And when you do, you'll go in and out and find pasture. When you do, you'll go in and out and find pasture. This little sheepfold, which was only little in the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, there were 120 disciples in the upper room before the Spirit of God fell and the church was born. It's gotten a little bigger since then. Although, let me just say this, out of all that calls themselves part of Christendom, a billion people, how many of them are really, really God's sheep? Like Judaism had a lot of different flocks and sheep that were not of God. I don't know. Out of a billion who call themselves Christians, I don't know, maybe 10, 15% are really born again. I don't know. I hope it's more. I doubt it. So Jesus, the good shepherd, um, leads people into his fold. He did this with the blind man who he looked for, made it a point in chapter 9 to say he searched for this man, found him, offered him himself. Do you believe that? you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? It is me, him who was talking to you. I believe. Worship him. Jesus invited him to be a part of his flock. Of course, the sheepfold represents all the blessings of the freedom that comes from being saved by faith through grace, or being saved by grace through faith. As God leads us, Jesus leads us out of the restrictive walls of a legalistic system, whether you're talking about Judaism or Roman Catholicism or whatever else. Isn't there great freedom as a Christian? that you don't have to make sure every day you check off all the things you did for God to make sure that he still loves you and still accepts you? Let me close with, by, with saying this, okay? Be careful in verse 9 that you don't misunderstand, right? I can see how you would. Where Jesus said, you know, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pastor. Well, what does that mean? What are you, in and out? Am I in and out of salvation? Well, what's, what's the Lord saying here? Am I, you know, what does this mean exactly? Look, Jesus Christ alone is the entrance into, into salvation. He said that in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. But... The in and out is not the in and out of salvation. You will go in and out and find pasture is the idea. Remember what the temporary, or I shouldn't say the, yeah, well, it was a temporary sheepfold. Remember what they were. They were stops along the way, weren't they? The shepherd was leading his sheep, looking for green pastures. So these these. Sheepfolds that he, you know, we talked about and that he's no doubt talking about here 
were respites along the way. Places where the sheep could sleep for the night and rest in safety before the shepherd would lead them out again on their journey. We are all the sheep of God, the sheep of Jesus Christ, and we are all on a journey. And the Lord every once in a while has a stop. I think this is one of the stops. When you come to church every week, this is a sheepfold where you gather together, where you're refreshed, where you're revived, where you sing his praises and you study his word and you fellowship with his people and you get recharged for the good shepherd to lead you out into the world again for another week where you can be used by God and, and not get burned out, right? Turn to Psalm 84 and we'll read this in close. We are on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. And we need to stop and rest from time to time. It's hard. It's not easy. Look at Psalm 84, starting with verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We're just passing through. This is not our home. This is a pilgrimage from earth to heaven. And the good shepherd's leading us. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca. You know what Baca means? Weeping. Weeping. Sometimes the good shepherd leads us through some dark valleys. And there's weeping. We lose a loved one. Our marriage doesn't make it. We've just gotten word from the doctor. We have a term, we have a very serious, I should say, disease. And there's weeping. God never promised us a rose-covered path. He never promised us a life free from storms or adversity. The only thing he's promised us is I will be with you every step of the way. That's what he's promised us. And sometimes he leads us into very difficult places. And there's weeping. But listen to what he says here. But they make it a spring. The valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. In other words, this is the definition of ministry. Check out 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 5. You comfort others with the same comfort you yourself were comforted by God when you went through a trial. When you had adversity or heartache and God comforted you and he taught you through that and he made his presence very powerfully felt in your life and you turn around and you use that to then help others. Your tears, your pain becomes a fountain for them a source of refreshment because they know you've gone through it and God brought you through it. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I'm not going to fall and die in the valley of the shadow of death. It's a dark and, and scary place, but he leads me through it. And the purpose is that I can be used to comfort others going through similar trials. Verse 7, they go, these sheep, they go from strength to strength. Can I paraphrase sheepfold to sheepfold on their journey with Jesus from earth to heaven? 
They go from strength to strength. Each one of them appears before God in Zion. They all make it. They all make it. It's hard. Life is hard. God is good. And although we can encounter some very difficult circumstances, our shepherd is with us, and he is leading us. And someday we're all going to stand before God in Zion. We're, no, no, he said it. Of all the sheep the Father has given to me, I will lose what, 10%? None. I will lose none because there is his sheep. It's his responsibility to hang on to you and me, not my responsibility to hang on to him. My responsibility to go to church, stay in the word, be in fellowship, yeah. But he's watching over me. He's leading my life. And although it's hard at times, like Peter, Lord, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. It's hard going forward. I can't go backward. There's nothing in the world I want anymore. And so we press on from strength to strength, from sheepfold to sheepfold, from times of rest and rejuvenation and revival, and we keep going on our journey. And someday we'll all stand before God in Zion. Jesus promised us that. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give to them eternal life. Unless I don't read my Bible correctly, that sounds like life for eternity, which is guaranteed to every true sheep and follower of the Good Shepherd. Amen? Amen. We'll pick it up next time, God willing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for how you teach us and encourage us through your word, Lord, and in the power of your spirit. And Father, we just pray you continue to bless these studies in your word. Lord, you're the good shepherd. Will you lead your sheep in this incredible chapter that we would glean and graze upon all the truths you have put here in your word, that we would go in strength and be a blessing to others who are struggling with trials, heartache, and pain. Father, we give you this study. We ask you to continue to bless it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.